Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website <clears throat> is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government and former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. It is May the 11th, and on this day in 1934, a massive storm sent millions of tons of topsoil flying across the parched Great Plains region of the United States and as far east as New York and Boston and Atlanta. At the time, the Great Plains were settled in the mid-1800s. The land was covered with prairie grass, which held moisture in the earth and kept most of the soil from blowing away even during dry spells. But the early 20th century, however, farmers plowed under much of the grass to create fields. U.S. entry into World War I, 1917, caused a great need for wheat, and farms began to push their fields into the limit, uh, plowing under more and more grassland with a newly invented tractor. The plowing continued after the war when the introduction of even more powerful gasoline tractors sped up the process. During the 1920s, when production increased by 300%, causing a glut in the market by 1931, that year, a severe drought spread across the region. As crops died, the wind began to carry dust from the overplowed and overgrazed lands. The number of dust storms reported jumped from 14 in 1932 to 28 in 1933. The following year, the storms decreased in frequency but increased in intensity, culminating in the most severe storm yet in May of 1934. Over a period of two days, high-level winds caused and carried some 350 million tons of silt all the way from the northern Great Plains to the eastern seaboard. According to the New York Times, dust lodged itself in the eyes and throats of weeping and coughing New Yorkers, and even ships some 300 miles offshore saw dust collected on their desks. The dust storms forced thousands of families from Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Colorado, and Kansas and New Mexico to uproot and migrate to California, where they were divisively known as Okies, no matter which state they were from. These transplants found life out west not much easier than when they had left as the work uh, was uh, scarce and pay meager during the worst years of the Great Depression. Of course, John Steinbeck's great novel, uh, Living Off the Fat of the Land. After a massive storm of 19, eight, April 1915-1935, known as Black Sunday, brought even more attention to the desperate situation of the Great Plains region, which reporter Robert Geiger called the Dust Bowl, that year, as much as, as part of the New Deal program, President Franklin D. Roosevelt's administration began to enforce federal regulation of farming methods, including crop rotation, grass seeding, and uh, new plowing methods. This worked to a point, reducing dust storms by up to 65%, but only the end of the drought and fall of 1939 would truly bring relief. <clears throat> Such an interesting story in our past and uh, how important it is then to take care of the ground if you want it to take care of us, for sure. While the Biden family attempted to hide more than $10 million payment from foreign nationals through a web of privately held companies, House Oversight and Government Accountability Chairman James Comer of Kentucky said Wednesday at a press conference, since taking control of the House, Republicans have undertaken wide-ranging investigations into the Biden family's business practices. While Hunter Biden, Ukrainian, and Chinese energy deals have been widely reported, the House Oversight Committee has looked at other family members, including the president's brother James and sister Valerie. In only four months since gaining subpoena authority, we have made astonishing progress, Comer said, after delving into the Biden family's alleged business in Romania. While Vice President Biden was lecturing Romania on anti-corruption policies, in reality he was walking billboard for his son and family to collect money. Hunter Biden and his associates capitalized on a lucrative financial relationship with a Romanian national who was under investigation for and later convicted of corruption in Romania. 
The Bidens received over $1 million for the deal and 16 of 17 payments to the associates account that funneled the Biden money occurred while Joe Biden was vice president. In fact, the money stopped flowing from the Romanian national soon after Biden leaves, left the White House and left the vice presidency. This is a pattern of influence peddling, Comer said, and he's absolutely right. The New York Times sued the State Department in January 2022 to gain access to American embassy officials' emails uh, mentioning Biden, Hunter Biden and a business associate, Tony Bobolinsky. The outlet hoped to uh, access emails mentioning the possible improper use of federal government resources to assist and advance private business interests with connections to the United States government and the possible evasion of foreign agent registration, or FARA, by the, uh, those private business interests, and number three, the enforcement of FARA by the federal government <clears throat> in relation to those private business interests, according to Politico. Comer noted that uh, the Biden family's alleged influence peddling began while Joe Biden was vice president. In at least one instance, Hunter Biden traveled with his father to China on an official visit. At the time, Hunter was serving as an unpaid board member of the Chinese equity firm BHR Partners. The committee is concerned that by the complicated, suspicious network of over 20 companies, we've identified that the Biden family and their associates used to enrich themselves. Most of these, uh, of these companies were limited liability companies forming during uh, Joe Biden's vice presidency. The bank records show that Biden family, their associates, and their companies received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their companies, Comer said. And here's the thing. <clears throat> What did these companies have to sell or provide? What was the value they provided to the people that sent them this money? The only thing is influence. And uh, if he's selling influence, that's illegal. Those are bribes. And uh, we'll see. We'll, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this. Unfortunately, it just feels like the whole deep state is protecting the Biden family. We'll see if there, uh, there's justice that comes from this. Former President Donald Trump steamrolled CNN's Caitlin Collins during Wednesday's town hall event, hall event in New Hampshire, dismissing her politically biased and outdated questions, effectively reducing her role as a moderator by speaking directly to the audience about the gotcha topics of visibly irritated Collins, continually posed throughout the night. It was amateur night. She was just out of her league. The highly anticipated town hall event, teased by Trump, Boded well for the former president, despite Collins' attempt to begin the event with a series of contentious topics and arguably outdated leftist narratives, from the 2020 election result to January 6th to a composite accusations in the Gene Carroll case. Notably, Trump received a standing ovation at his, in, at his introduction. Her questions were accusatory and outdated. At one point, can I talk, he said. Yeah, what's the answer, Colin replied. Do you mind, Trump said. I would like you to answer, she said, interrupting Trump by sarcastically adding, that's why I asked it. <laughs> it's very simple. You are a very nasty person, okay, Trump said after the CNN's moderators quipped, prompting cheers and laughter from the CNN audience. At the conclusion of the town hall, Trump interacted with the audience, even waving off a visibly irritated Collins. It was terrific. He just did a great job. Always in control, and uh, Collins was just out of her league. And by the way, CNN faced backlash from the opponents of former President Donald Trump for hosting him in a town hall on the network Wednesday, charging them that uh, they gave him a stage. CNN should be ashamed of themselves, lamented Socialist Representative uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. They've lost control of this town hall to again be manipulated into platforming election disinformation, defenses of January 6th, and a public attack on a sexual abuse system. The audience is cheering him on and laughing at the host. This is Trump infomercial, lamented Megan McCain. This is irresponsible disaster of journalism. We have absolutely learned nothing, said Matt Fuller of the Daily Beast. This is really not going down how CNN must have thought it would or hoped it would go, said Yahoo News. Uh, uh, senior correspondent Michael Weiss. He is steamrolling, getting glass for his crassest comments and sees, seems far more assured and confident than someone who is deep in the soup, as he should be. And he's not deep in the soup. It's, isn't it interesting how, uh, how you see things and what your point of view is depends on where you're sitting around the table. And, of course, the Democrats refuse to acknowledge the evidence that uh, their positions on this on these, on these situations are wrong. 
uh, to the economy. Uh, inflation refused to significantly ease despite the Federal Reserve's efforts to rein in high prices, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics inf- inflation report. The Consumer Price Index, or the CPI, a broad measure of prices everyday goods such as energy and food, uh, increased 4.9% on an annual basis in April compared to 5% in March. Well, that's good. It's going down a little bit. But it excluded energy and food remaining high, rising 5.5% year over year. Inflation reached 9.1% in June, its highest point since 1982. The CPI report follows an unexpectedly hot jobs report on Friday as the U.S. added 253,000 jobs in April, and the unemployment rate dropped significantly to 3.4%, according to BLS data. We remain committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal and keep our longer-term inflation expectations well anchored, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell who had raised interest rates 10 consecutive times in an attempt to lower inflation, said said on Wednesday in a press conference. Uh, The Federal Open Market Committee, uh, reducing inflation is likely to require a period of below-trend growth and some softening of labor markets. In other words, uh, probably some sort of recession. Don't know why they're married to 2%. Seems to me, uh, with all the money that they've plowed into the economy, $6 trillion in the last few years, uh, inflation should be expected. And I think something like 4% might, might be a more realistic uh, goal. <clears throat> but I'm not an economist. Well, the nationwide exodus of Democrat-run states has uh, set Florida's real estate market on fire. And according to District 11 pioneer Mark Roberts, it's showing no signs of stopping. The amazing part about Miami is that there's no slowdown. As a matter of fact, it's progressing. The values are going up. Businesses are moving there. We're basically seeing in the second inning of a nine-inning game, this is a mass exit of businesses, people coming from jo- coming for jobs, people moving here. It's an exodus that nobody's ever seen before. Uh, that, according to E11 co-founder, said during the appearance at Mar- uh, Mornings with Maria, In 2022, Florida saw the biggest rush of new residents migrating from predominantly blue states with steep taxes, and about 319,000 Americans made the move here, according to data from the National Association of Realtors. That amounts to population growth of nearly 2%, well above the 0.4% national growth rate in the U.S. Uh, And what's interesting about this, Roberts continued, arguing that the historic exodus is largely due to widespread Word-of-mouth praise for the Sunshine State. The best publicity for anything is word-of-mouth, so all you hear about Miami is because of everything people are talking about, how amazing and what a great experience it is. The best thing about Miami is how safe Miami is. You know, the police chief, Manuel Morales, is doing an incredible job. The mayor is, of course, amazing. He's just such a great proponent of everything that's going on. Our commission is second to none. It's like the perfect storm. Everything about Miami is just hitting all cylinders, he told told Maria. I'd like to think that's the same thing here in Naples as well, focused on Miami. But certainly, when you take a look at what's happening in Naples, we're seeing uh, the same thing. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Certainly. Uh, We're a grassroots coalition of uh, now over 250,000 uh, people in uh, 100 different groups across Florida. And we focus on uh, K-12 education. Um, what that has meant over time is that we're strong proponents of uh, putting competition back into our government schools through school choice options, uh, getting rid of the indoctrination uh, that ranges all the way from denigrating our constitutional values to uh, getting rid of the pornography that's in our schools. So we're very active in all those areas. A terrific organization, been around for about a decade, maybe a little longer, but the important thing is just gaining terrific traction and influence in the Department of Education here in Florida, as well as with the governor's office. I just really admire the work that you're doing, Keith. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so Keith, uh, I understand that the Guardian program uh, has been implemented in Lee County. Maybe you can tell us about it, and uh, as well as what might be happening in, in Collier County. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, the Guardian program uh, was a product of of the uh, Parkland uh, incident uh, back in uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Florida um, legislature and Governor Scott uh, passed into law a, a bill that uh, that allowed it didn't require, but it allowed every school district to create uh, a Guardian program, which is to allow uh, well trained. Uh, administrators and teachers um, to uh, conceal carry uh, on school grounds. Um, the um, what, what's really fascinating about that is a lot of people are lining up on um, what I'll call ideological grounds. You know that you know guns in schools uh, yeah. should shouldn't be there. What what they're missing is um, gun-free zones or magnets for crazy people. Sure. And uh, if you, um, and we'll be posting this on our website and putting out a petition um, to, to support this. Uh, Lee County passed this 7-0 to zero, uh, a couple nights ago. And what it does is, it, again, it allows well-trained, and I want to emphasize that, well-trained uh, teachers and administrators who have gone through, um, you know, the appropriate um, psych- psychiatric uh, tests and 144 hours of of uh, training, which is more than a new sheriff's deputy or police officer gets. Yeah. Uh, in, in Lee County, the sheriff was very supportive and actually uh, 
uh, encouraged and they adopted a 160-hour program, so they actually upped the training. Uh, but this is going to be up for a vote in Collier County on the um, 13th of June. And my fear there is that uh, it's going to come down on ideological lines. You have uh, Carter and Lucarelli who um, you know, are stuck on the ideology uh, rather than protecting our kids. So we'll be posting video of the testimony of uh, uh, Sheriff Gualtieri, who was, who was and is the head of the uh, Parkland Commission. And uh, he makes some uh, excellent points that I think people need to know. Uh, number one, there will be more shootings. Yeah. Uh, number two, and we've seen that in the last couple of years since his testimony. Uh, number two, and this is really profound, there is no way to predict who the next shooter is going to be. Um, and, and he also testified that of the 46 incidents that occurred prior to his testimony in 2019, uh, 40, and this is astounding, 43 of them uh, were, uh, were kids or people who had a right to be in the schools. Hmm. Um, so they, 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 you just can't predict. Right. And, and so, um, you know, we think it's really important uh, to protect our kids, as he points out over and over again. Uh, one SRO is great. Uh, two uh, defenders is, is better. Three is better than two, and four is better than three. Yeah. So it really is providing the protection. Uh, one SRO, as we have here in Collier County, on a large campus uh, cannot be uh, an adequately cover shooter situation when you know, over half of those situations were over in a minute and 44 seconds. Yeah, amazing. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to be trying to mount an effort to get um, you know, the citizens of, of Collier County to understand what this is because there's still far too many that react on ideological grounds rather than you know, just trying to provide that extra layer of protection. Yeah, so yeah. That's what it's about, Bob. Well, thank you for that. A great explanation. And, you know, I talked to Sheriff Scott. I'll never forget the conversation when he talked about uh, concealed carry and guns. He said, Bob, some people refer to us as first responders. We're not first responders. The victim is the first responder, and therefore, if the victim is prepared to protect himself or herself, he's going to do a lot better than uh, waiting for the police department or the sheriff's office to show up. That makes a lot of sense to me. And who cares as much, you know, maybe as much as about the uh, kids as the, as the parents as the teachers. So, uh, f the first thing is that right now, if a if a shooter decides to come on campus in a in a public school, uh, he's got to be wondering or she's got to be wondering, are who's armed? And who's going to take me down if, if I try and do something here? That's going to be a, that's going to dissuade that kind of activity. Right, and of course, uh, you know, you could also argue this on constitutional grounds. Uh, none of these uh, school board members have the right to take away those teachers' right to protect themselves and their children uh, constitutionally. So, not only does it serve to uh, to add those extra layers of protection uh, to protect our kids and save lives. Uh, they have uh, every constitutional right to carry. So, yeah. um, you know, that's uh, we're going to be mounting an effort to encourage and uh, and hopefully the Collier County School Board will line up the same way Lee County did. So go to the uh, website, goflca.com. Uh, that's the website for the Florida Citizens Alliance. I'm sure all this information is included on the website, Keith. Keith? Uh, it will be. We just this just all started uh, two nights ago, so we'll be posting uh, a, a petition. Uh, you know, here shortly, we've actually drafted it, and we'll be posting the videos uh, for both uh, Sheriff Gualtieri and uh, Sheriff Grady Judd, who uh, you know are tremendous experts. Yeah, uh, and and uh, ab absolutely insist that this is a must, not a nice to have, but a must. Uh, I would certainly agree with that. I fall strongly on the side of making sure that we have people armed in the schools and prepared to take out anybody who's trying, who wants to hurt the kids in that, that particular location. Keith, I really appreciate your commentary. There's so much more that I wanted to talk to you about. Perhaps we could talk about it next week, but I really appreciate you joining us here on the show. Thank you so certainly, much. Certainly, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up. Uh, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977 uh, advocating the traditional American ideas of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. And what that means in healthcare is we try to defend your most important health care right, which is the right to make your own health decisions, which is constantly under assault at both the state and federal levels. Well, that horse is certainly out of the barn when we have the government so much involved in our health care, and I know you're championing for trying to reduce that, if, or at least slow it down. So, uh, Michael, uh, Michelle Walensky uh, just resigned, I guess effective June 1st, uh, from the uh, CDC, and uh, to me, it just seems to me that the legacy she's left is one of deceit and uh, mis- misguidance in terms of the American people. Of course, we have the, we have the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, looking over the shoulder of the CDC and the American people, uh, trying to gain more and more influence on our health decisions. Just want to get your thoughts on that. So, uh, really, no agency, the CDC included, has um, has bathed uh, uh, itself in glory uh, in the past several years. Uh, there have been a lot of failures uh, that, uh, from which they should be learning, but don't seem to be uh, learning the, the the proper lessons. And I think Dr. Walensky's um, resignation should be an occasion for Congress to hold hearings. Uh, re-examine the CDC's behavior during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And, and, and even uh, uh, reform the CDC uh, in a number of ways. Uh, for example, it, Congress should make it clear that the CDC does not have the power to do things like uh, demand a, a moratorium on evictions, uh, as the CDC um, uh did during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I think the best recommendation that I've seen for reforming the CDC is 
to turn it into something like the uh, National Transporta- Transportation Safety Board. Uh-huh. If you're if you're if you're familiar with the NTSB does is when there is uh, a, a, a an an airline accident, uh, for example, the NTSB shows up. They collect data. And then they issue a report. They, what they do is they uh, gather and they provide information to policymakers, and they don't do anything in terms of policymaking themselves. Yeah. That would be, I think, a, a, a good model for reforming the CDC uh, because then you would have uh, decisions about public health that are being made by a more accountable, maybe not as accountable as we would like, but more accountable policymakers in Congress and the executive branch. You know, and, and Michael, the, the sad truth of the matter is, well, in my case, uh, I mean, I literally lost, uh, well, some of my respect and uh, confidence in the medical establishment primarily because I thought I was getting bad information from the top, from the uh, CDC. And what I found is that most medical pr- professionals took whatever the CDC recommended as gospel. <laughs> and the consequence is uh, they seem to give up their their uh, right to make decisions you know, with the patient as opposed to relying on the information from the CDC. That's right, and it, it, it makes sense that they would do that because doctors are busy. Yeah. And they need a reliable source of information on these questions, especially when the stakes were as high as they were during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, I think the, the, the biggest mistake that federal officials made was uh, to lose, uh, the public health officials was to lose the trust of so much of the American public uh, and even uh, a, a great many physicians and I think that is also something that Congress needs to uh, Congress needs to examine. Yeah, because uh, uh, even if this the CDC retains its powers, it's not going to get people to comply with recommendations uh, if people don't trust what the, the CDC is saying. If they, they don't trust the CDC CDC to. Uh, uh, provide accurate information uh, to make recommendations that reflect their values. Yeah, they were going to ignore it, and um, and uh, uh, you could ultimately get something that's like what has happened at the state level uh, in, in in many states. Uh, states have stripped their public health agencies of a lot of the powers that they used to have. And that, that's ironic because the state public health agencies uh, were doing a better job, I think, than the CDC was. But the 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 voters and the uh, policymakers who were upset with the CDC, uh, they didn't have the power to do something about it at the federal level. So they mostly uh, uh, lashed out at the state level uh, uh, and sort of... Um, uh, curtailed the powers of the of the wrong agencies. Yeah, I will it would say be this: better to have these to have state agencies uh, with uh, with broader uh, state public health agencies with broader powers, because there at least uh, you can you can have federalism giving us these laboratories of democracy and experimenting with what public health approaches work and uh, and then discarding the ones that do not. Uh, you, uh, it's more dangerous when. Uh, the federal agency like the CDC has those sort of comprehensive yeah, I, I think that's well said, Michael. In fact, uh, our governor has appointed uh, uh, Dr. Ladapo. I think I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. Uh, he is our uh, Surgeon General here in the state of Florida. And his recommendations are get, get a lot of sunshine, uh, make sure you're getting enough vitamin D, get enough sleep, uh, eat the proper foods, and you know, as opposed to uh, get a jab. And in fact, he's recommended for people uh, who don't have uh, vulnerability to uh, or some sort of a, uh, repressed uh, immune system not to have the jab at all. Uh, I'm not. Uh, that's not exactly his wording, but especially for young people. My point is this: I trust him. 
I think, you know, if I'm going to be making a situation involving public health or make a decision, I want to know what he thinks. I don't care what the CDC says because I just don't trust them anymore. And he certainly has been controversial, but uh, if but you make an important point. There are a lot of people who are looking for someone who is going to be more conservative in their recommendations yeah. about uh, vaccinations. And so uh, it and that I think makes the point that you want public health decisions, as many public health decisions as possible to come from the state level uh, for just this reason. Uh, Michael uh, Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Take care. You as well. Thank you, Michael. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. He is in uh, Belize, so uh, I always envy him when I'm making this phone call. But nevertheless, we're going to talk to him. He is the president of uh, Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They've been around for about a decade and have over a $15 million budget. So they're doing a great job. What they do is they they know politics and the policy. They prepare elected officials. They know how to win elections, but not necessarily how to legislate. So they help elected officials to put together a game plan that can win in state legislatures. The website is thefga.org. I hope you check it out, thefga.org. Well, a federal lawsuit has been filed by the largest teachers union in Florida, among other plaintiffs, following Governor Ron DeSantis' signing of a bill that nixes automatic deduction of teachers' union dues. Now, listen to the whining here that the union's doing about this. The plaintiffs include the largest teachers union in the state, the Florida Education Association, along with the United Faculty of Florida and the uh, Alachua County Education Association. So those are the plaintiffs. On Tuesday, the governor signed a bill into law that will prohibit some unions from directly withdrawing funds from public employee paychecks. Instead, a public employee, such as a teacher, would need to opt into a union and send payments directly to the union if they want to be a member of the union. 
We maintain that this law is unconstitutional on its face, irrespective of any bad motive on the part of the governor. Florida Education Association President Andrew Sparr said in a virtual press conference on Wednesday. However, we do believe there are bad motives, Sparr continued. The governor is using the legislation to retaliate against his critics, very similar to what we've seen in the attacks on Disney as well. The plaintiffs uh, challenged provisions of the bill citing the First Amendment. The law violates our right to free speech. (laughs) I'm not making this up. They really said that. And to association under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, as well as equal protection laws under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, Spar said. We, as educators of Florida, exercise our constitutional rights, and for doing so, we have faced political retribution by the governor of this great state, Spar said. Under the law, beginning uh, July 1st, a public employee who desires to join a union must sign a membership authorization for that con- that contains acknowledgement that Florida is a right-to-work state. The form would outline the union membership and payment of dues is not required as a condition of employment. One of the more controversial parts of the law deals with the recertification of the employee organization. It requires school unions to represent at least 60% of your uh, employees eligible for representation. This is an increase of over the current 50% uh, threshold. Now, my opinion of this is right now, uh, the teachers have received bonuses and uh, record high increases in pay uh, in the last couple of years. So I'm sure most teachers are pretty satisfied with the progress they're seeing with regard to compensation and conditions of employment. So uh, they they come off as they're speaking for teachers, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, the proof is in the pudding, uh, the tasting, and uh, we'll see what happens when this all takes effect because teachers may decide just to opt out of the union to say that we've got pretty good working conditions and why why should I spend this extra money that provides no value? I suspect that kind of question is going to be asked by many, many teachers. But irrespective, uh, this lawsuit, in my opinion, I was really expecting it. Uh, I don't know who would have standing in this because right now they're going to have to find not just union, but probably teachers who are willing to uh, uh, complain about this in court. It's such an interesting uh, situation, though, and my hope is the state will uh, prevail uh, and uh, having, if you want to be in the union, go ahead and be in the union. You just got to send the money directly to the union. We're not going to collect, collect the dues. It's a good idea. Well, once again, the Biden White House just can't get it right with college athletic champions. Dr. Jill Biden made a massive mistake with the LSU women's basketball championship team. She said after the game, I know we'll have the champions come to the White House. We always do, the first lady said after watching the game. So we hope LSU will come. But you know, I'm going to tell Joe I think Iowa should come too because they played such a good game, Jill said. <laughs> LSU player Angelo, Angel Reese called Jill's response a joke, but uh, Ella, Iowa, which has pride, wasn't even uh, having it either. I gratefully acknowledge the First Lady's sentiments, but a day at the White House should belong solely to the champion, LSU, and, uh, and Coach Mulkey, the Iowa uh, coach, Lisa Blutter, uh, tweeted, Jill has to reel, uh, her, she had to reel in her remarks and take them back. <laughs> she, somebody should check in with her before she makes those types of comments. Well, then Biden just seemed to have forgotten about Georgia Bulldogs, who, who the college football championship this year, they beat TCU 65-7. to The Bulldogs won in January, but hadn't gotten an invitation. Some are more than a, a little aggrieved about what it, uh, about this such as defensive lineman Warren Brinson. Uh, No invite to the White House is crazy, uh, Warren Brinson said on Twitter. Members of Congress uh, from Georgia also got involved, saying it's our hope that this repeat championship team can join the many teams prior to that that have been honored by the president. A bipartisan group of Georgia congressional delegation wrote to the White House in January, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The White House finally invited the Bulldogs on May 3rd to what they called College Athlete Day on June the 12th, but the Bulldogs decided to turn the president down. And here's their comment. The University of Georgia first received on May 3rd an invitation for the Bulldog football team to visit the White House on June the 12th. 
a Georgia Athletic Association said in a statement. Unfortunately, the date suggested is not feasible given the student-athlete calendar at, the, at this time of the year. So, told the, gov- uh, the president, not, not this time. So, uh, that part of the whole situation not being very handled with, with regard to communications and college uh, athletes. New York Republican Representative George Santos was uh, appeared at a Brooklyn federal court on, and <clears throat> on Wednesday and is going to face federal charges. The nature of the charges, uh, are, I think it's, uh, I don't have them exactly here, but uh, certainly uh, lying to uh, Congress uh, or lying, uh, uh, embezzlement, I think. Anyhow, the charges are pretty serious, and it's in a federal course. Uh so uh, DeSantis at the time, he said on Wednesday, this is news to me. He didn't even know about it. <clears throat> and finally in this segment, Los Angeles County jury awarded a prosecutor $1.5 million in a retaliation lawsuit filed against District Attorney George Gascon, who is facing multiple legal battles over similar complaints. Prosecutor Sean Randolph won her lawsuit Monday, uh, she said that the case that she was uh, transferred and effectively demoted for criticizing Gascon's policies, which some law enforcement officials have called soft on crime. Well, they certainly are. He is not prosecuting crimes. He's letting people out of jail early. Randolph, who worked in the district attorney's juvenile division, was transferred to the parole division after she objected to the policies that reduced charges against underage offenders, including those convicted of violent crimes. Randall's case is, is, not, is the first of 17 retaliation-related re- lawsuits against Gascon. The district attorney's office said it is disappointed by the jury's verdict, but it stands by the decision to reassign this and other attorneys to new positions within the office. The office also said, we will consider our options over the next several days. So uh, my hope is that this is Gascon. This, he was filed pers- personally or or the case was filed against him personally, so he's got to come up with $1.5 million. Perhaps this will have some influence on the decision-making process that he's making with regard to uh, criminals in the Los Angeles area. And by the way, uh, Soros is funding now another candidate in the Pittsburgh area. Sadly, they have law and order in Pittsburgh. Well, that's going to go away if, in fact, DeSantis or or, uh, Soros' candidate uh, ends up being a elected, which would be a real shame. So somehow, some way, we've got to figure out how to, it's, he's got a, a brilliant strategy. Uh, these cases, uh, these uh, uh, elections usually aren't contested. There's not a lot of money behind them. But when you have a bad person in the, in the office of district attorney, you end up paying a big price with regard to uh, law and order. So uh, we got to start paying attention to this big deal. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere then 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence, French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets for some great performances coming up. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, always my pleasure to uh, hear that cheery voice of you of yours on a Thursday morning. <laughs> well, it's it's my pleasure indeed, Bill. So, uh, any good scoop for us? Yeah, well, you know, um, interestingly enough, um, last week we talked a little bit about that H uh, that that House bill uh, that passed that rescinded any anything that was passed uh, after um, Ian um, because they felt that the things were being rushed and. Uh, uh, there was too much at one time, so the, the council is, uh, has had a, had a major discussion about what to do. Whether they're going to sue the state, are they going to whatever? And the the, the the prudent advice was sit back and just let's see what the Florida League of Cities, who represents us, comes up with because they represent all the cities uh, or the vast majority of them. And I think that was a that's a really good suggestion. It came from the city manager and uh, Ray Christman, actually one of the city councilmen, said had warned them prior when this thing was was uh, going through the through the house and being discussed. He said you, we need to wait, and no, they you know just went ahead and did what they wanted to do, and now everything is uh, on hold. So that'll be interesting to watch. Also, um, if you uh, follow the school board uh, this week, um, they did elect a. Uh, a um, superintendent. I don't know if you saw that or not. I did, uh, and 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 I'm I was pleased with it. I I think she'll Miss um, uh, Riccadelli um, has the experience. She'll do a really good job. The only issue that they're having is with her contract. They um, they wanted to um, uh, uh, give her a one year contract to see how she does, which I thought was absolutely absurd. The woman has certainly proved herself. Uh, uh, to know what she's doing, and so I'm um, not sure where that ended up, but the majority seems to think that that was not the right thing. So I don't think they quite finished that um, that discussion, but they they and they were coming close on salary. So I I I think um, uh, yeah I I think that it will um, will go. I, actually, that meeting went till eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, so, uh, Bill, I have a slightly uh, different point of view about that. And, uh, sure, in that, go ahead. Well, uh, you know, right now we, we look at the Collier County schools and they're saying we, that we get all A's. Well, the reading proficiencies, 58%, fifth graders can read at grade level. Just a number of metrics suggest that uh, we're over-assessing the success of the school system. And uh, in my opinion, I thought... It would be good to have a new broom sweeping clean kind of thing, have somebody come in who's got some experience that brings different ideas. And, of course, she's got experience here in Cuyahoga County. She's been a teacher. I mean, I'm not suggesting she's not qualified, but what I am suggesting is that we need to see if we can't, instead of just blessing everything that's been in the past, we, we need to figure out ways to get students performing better and having more fun in, in, in the learning process. Right. So, so, so you and I are almost on the same page, except for the fact, and 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 I I don't um, I'm not against a, a new or a different candidate, but I think I don't think that the candidate that was uh, put up against her mm-hmm. um, had the you know had the experience to come in here. I mean, that's a huge job, and his past experience was was minute compared to I who someone who I would like to see yeah. in here. So kind of taking yours and, and kind of splitting it in the middle and saying, yeah, okay, I don't disagree with you, but um, this was what, this is what we had to work with. So I said, so given the choices, that was my, 
that's that's the way I felt. So I'm sure that there's going to be lots more about that. Yeah. You know? And then and then um, there was a an, an article, and it was a very very good one, um, written by our friend Reg Buxton um, in Life in Naples, and it was about Florida's home rule, and we're losing it, Bob. Uh, and I think that's something you and I in the future should really have some good conversations about because um, home rule, for those that don't know, are, are the things that the city is allowed to do and can do, you know, make their own, make some of their own rules and take care of their own people and ordinances, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems as though the state is uh, is interfering with some of those, um, with, with, with just letting us do the home rule Um and it's a real, it's a real um, uh, uh, state of controversy, and people are getting really upset with it. And that's and and that's something that concerns everybody. You know, um, I agree, Bill. I mean, I, I have real mixed feelings about about uh, home rule. First of all, I think it's a great idea, but unfortunately, you see some places that are doing this woke stuff. You know, like oh, <laughs> retributions yeah. and. All kinds of and oh, and, 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 and gun freeze or or or, or uh, yeah, Black Lives Matter zones or whatever it might be. I mean, some of this stuff should be overruled. Uh, unfortunately, the yeah, but I would also say people should have the government is best when it's when it's uh, controlled locally, not from right. afar. Right. So yeah, I understand your point. That's another another good point. If they're going off the off the rails with some of this stuff, it's like hey. Uh, home rule or no home rule, um, this isn't. This is not good. Yeah. But you know, we never had that, Bob. We never had that. I mean, all the the years that 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 I served as mayor and um, went to the Florida League of Cities meetings, and and uh, there were many of us in council, uh, many uh, former mayors that got home rule awards for doing the best for our communities. Yeah. Um, I was I was honored to do that, and and it was exactly what you said. It was keeping it simple. And let us do what what we would do as a city. But like you said today, it's <laughs> it's it's uh, it's gone it's gone off the rails. Yeah. So uh, again, something to talk about and to, to watch carefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, to, uh, again, home rule is great as long as they're making decisions that I agree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, isn't that always the case? Yeah. But, but yeah, I like it as long as they're doing what I think is good. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, uh, you know, maybe there's a constitutional amendment or something that could, uh, when uh, things are going off the rail, that somehow, some way the state or some organization could step in and get things corrected. Because, I mean, right. uh, look, in, in Washington, D.C. or New York City, they say it's a uh, sanctuary city. It's the, the uh, inviting inviting people or illegal immigrants to come in well the fact of the matter is that's virtue signaling they have no money to to back it up and when when this happens for example when the governor sent people off to martha's vineyard uh you know everybody right. gets upset yeah. about it so right right well they haven't shown up in naples yet so uh keep your fingers crossed bob yeah but they yeah they, they 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 did it in uh i see they bust um to Rockland County, um, I'm very familiar with Rockland County, um, having grown up right near there, and uh, they're they're going they're they're beside themselves. So, um, yeah, I, something that that's another one that's a good point of conversation um, that we should have. Where does it stop? Especially with the title, what 42 ending this week or next week? I think it's tomorrow. Happen then? Maybe it's today. I think it's happening to. Oh, is it today? Yeah, I knew it was pretty close so that'll be interesting to watch that's for sure well i'll tell you what lots of things going on but certainly nothing that's more important than you getting out there and hitting that golf ball today <laughs> i don't know about that bill but i just <laughs> genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much well, for joining thanks, us thanks bob and you have a good week you as well thank you so much bill well that's a wrap here in today's show i hope you enjoyed it i certainly did and learned a lot uh, tomorrow we've got great guests. William Yateman is a senior legal fellow with the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. Ellen Prager is an ocean scientist, uh, an author, a uh, Ph.D., and I look forward to having Ellen back on the show. Megan Rose is the CEO of Better Together, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, uh, a terrific read. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. 
Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll spread the word. That really helps our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>